If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll <clears throat> be looking at verses 13 and 14 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Do you want to live a powerful Christian life? When you leave this world, do you want your family, friends, and loved ones to think how, how powerful of a life you lived for Christ, how godly of a man you were, how godly of a woman you were. At home in my study, I have my wall of heroes. John Calvin, Martin Luther, William Tyndale, John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, John Owens, and and uh, John Wycliffe. Uh, these are heroes of the faith. And when I look at them and look at the powerful lives that they lived for Christ, man, I want to be like them. Though my name may never go down in a history book, I want to live a powerful life for Christ, wherever he sends me, whatever he has me to do in this life. How about you? Do you want to live a powerful life for Jesus Christ? I want you to know today that you can live a powerful life for Christ. You can do it. Wherever you are now in life, whatever you're doing, whatever God has called you to do as a Christian, you can live a powerful life for the glory of Jesus Christ. As we look at Paul's letter here, this first letter to Corinth, and as he is closing this letter to the Corinthian church, his desire for the Corinthians to whom he is writing is that they would live a powerful life for Christ. Now, they've been off the rails. They've been off the rails. We, we've seen that as we've gone through this letter. They've been they've doing some bad stuff, right? They, they've got some immorality problems. They've got some division problems. They've got all of these things. They're, they're kind of trying to add a lot, a lot of the world in with a little bit of Christianity and call it good. They've got a lot of problems. But Paul wants them to live a powerful life for the kingdom of God. And so as he draws this letter to a close... He leaves them with five imperatives. That's five commands. And in these five commandments, we see five principles for a powerful Christian life. Five principles for a powerful Christian life. And I want you to be able to take these five principles to apply them to your life so that you too can live a powerful Christian life. Now, as we look at this text this morning, uh, you'll notice, if you were here last week, you'll notice that verse 12, we're kind of skipping over that. I don't mean to skip over verse 12. Verse 12 actually goes with the, the previous two paragraphs, and I just didn't include it last week. But looking at verse 12, now concerning your brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has an opportunity. So last week we looked at the, the uh, uh, seven key elements of an effective ministry. And one of those key elements was 
to be surrendered, to surrender your will to Jesus Christ. And Apollos here reflects that. He, he exemplifies that. As he, he doesn't even give in to the influence of the Apostle Paul. Even though Apostle encouraged him to go to Corinth, he says, no, I'm surrendered to God, and so it's not God's will at this point for me to go. So he, he works as an example for one who has surrendered his ministry to the will of God. So I didn't want to just skip over that and act like it wasn't there. So there you go. I want to make sure you get the full benefit of God's Word. But today we're focusing in on just two verses, and, and small verses. So we're looking at verses 13 and 14, and as always, please stand with me. If you found your place there, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Holy Word as we read these two verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we, we look at this small text, these two little verses, two sentences, they are packed full of great information, great, uh, great advice for living a powerful Christian life. And so as we look at these five principles that Paul lays out here in these two little sentences, we see here our first principle for a powerful Christian life is stay alert. Stay alert. That first little imperative, be watchful, the ESV says. Be watchful. Some translations may say be alert or be on guard. It's the same kind of idea. It means to, to stay alert, be watchful, stay alert, pay attention. In, in the book With the Old Breed, E.B. Sledge recounts his service as a marine mortarman in the Pacific during World War II. And as he was fighting in the Pacific, he recount, recounts how, how life was there on the islands as they were fighting the enemy. And he notes that the enemy loved to attack at the most inopportune times. When you were off your guard, that's when they wanted to attack. So at night, after fighting all day, they had to stay alert. They had to be watchful. As they were dug down in their foxholes there, usually two to four men in a foxhole, at all times somebody had to stay awake all night to stay alert, to be on guard. If not, if, if everybody fell asleep, then they wouldn't wake up because the enemy would creep in unaware and kill them while they slept. So they had to stay awake. They had to be alert at all times, watching for the enemy. You know, Scripture tells us over and over and over again to stay alert. Stay alert. We see this over and over again throughout the New Testament. And as we look at the New Testament, the New Testament tells us 
uh, four things. There are four things that we need to be alert to, stay alert to. And so I want to bring those out today because I think Paul is looking at every one of those things. The first three are, are kind of negatives, right? They're stay alert to the enemy's attacks, and the last one is more positive. But, but let us look at them. First of all, you need to stay alert to Satan's attack. Stay alert to Satan's attack, to the enemy's attack. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. It's the same Greek term there. Be watchful, stay alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Your enemy wants to, to catch you when, you're, when you have your guard down. He wants to catch you. He wants to manipulate you. He wants to cause you to fall. If he can take you down and ruin your name, ruin your, your witness, oh man, he has won a battle. You need to stay alert because Satan has put a, a target on your back. As a Christian, he has put a target on your back. Oh, he doesn't care about the rest of the world. They're following his lead, so, so why take them down? But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan wants to take you down Stay alert. Stay alert. Be on guard for Satan's attacks. You need to stay alert to Satan's attacks. Second, you need to stay alert to temptation. Stay alert to temptation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, watch and pray. Watch, same term. Same Greek term there. Watch, be alert, stay awake, stay alert, and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have to stay alert to our own fleshly desires. Our own fleshly desires that, that give in to temptation. We have to be alert to, to what tempts us, what draws us to, to sin. We have to stay alert. Be aware of temptation. Billy Graham was well aware of temptations in his own life, and he always had the, what's, what's been called the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham rule. This rule says never spend time alone with a woman who is not your wife. I try to live by that rule because temptation is all around and temptation is looking for an avenue to, to get into your life. So whatever your temptation is, whatever sin you are inclined to, be alert to temptation. Take steps to remove those temptations so they're, they're, they're not even there. Don't allow yourself to, to be in a situation where temptation might cause you to sin stay alert to temptation third stay alert to false teachers stay alert to false teachers in acts chapter 20 verses 29 through 31 paul speaking to the elders of ephesus says i know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you that's false teachers not sparing the flock 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Stay awake. Stay alert. Stay awake for, uh, stay alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I taught you, Paul says. I remember I spent all that time with you and I taught you sound doctrine. Stay alert. Be alert to false teachers who want to come in and draw you away from the truth of Scripture. Be aware of those who want to draw you away from true faith, away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay alert. We need to be aware that all around us there's false teachers. And you can go into to some very popular Christian bookstores and their books are there on the shelves. You've got to stay alert. You've got to stay alert. Everything that's out there that calls itself Christian is not solid. It's not sound doctrine. There are many false teachers out there who want to draw you away and sell you their own gospel. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Stay alert to false teachers. Fourth, and this is the positive, a positive thing here, stay alert to the resurrection. Stay alert to the resurrection. That is, stay alert to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 13, verses 34 and 37, concerning the day of the Lord, concerning the day of the resurrection, Jesus teaches his disciples, it is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, to stay alert. Therefore, stay awake, stay alert, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in, come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, stay alert. Be alert to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we've already talked about this back there in, as we talked about the resurrection in chapter 15. It can happen at any moment. It can happen at any time. There's nothing left to be done. Whenever, whatever day God has determined will be the day, whatever the hour, whatever the minute, whatever the second that He has determined that Jesus Christ will come with a, a loud cry, with the cry of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet, whatever that time may be, He will come. It will be in a moment, in a blink of an eye, and it will all be over. Let me ask you, dear friend, what do you want to be caught doing when Jesus returns? What do you want to be caught doing when Jesus returns? We should be thinking about that every second of every day. With every action that we take in life, we should think, now if Jesus comes in this moment, will I be ashamed? If Jesus comes in this moment, will I be glad? Stay alert. Don't be caught sleeping. Don't be caught living in sin. Stay alert, for Christ could come in a moment in a blink of an eye. Stay alert to the resurrection. We need to stay alert. You need to stay alert. If you want to live a powerful life in Jesus Christ, you must stay alert. 
Remember, friends, we are in the trenches fighting the battle of the ages between God and the devil. If you want to live a powerful Christian life, you have to stay alert. Stay alert to the enemy's attacks and stay alert to the king's call. Stay alert. Stay alert. Second, if you want to live a powerful life in Christ Jesus, you must stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Paul says it clearly right there. Just stand firm. And not just stand firm. He clarifies this one. Stand firm in the faith. Now what does he mean? Stand firm in the faith. In the second Samuel chapter 23, we, we have a, a kind of a, a description of David's mighty men. And in uh, uh, verses 11 through 12, Samuel recounts one of David's mighty men, a warrior by the name of Shammah the Hararite. And it says that the Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the, the men, all the rest of Israel, fled from the Philistines. But Shammai stood, uh, took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. He took his stand. He stood firm. There he was in this plot of land. There he was, and he met the enemy. And he says, I'm going to take this land, and this is going to be my foothold. This is going to be my anchor. I'm not going to give an inch. I'm not going to budge from this place, and I'm going to take on the enemy where I stand. I'm standing firm. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to stand firm. The enemy's attacks are coming. We know they're coming. They're going to strike us at, at every side. But we're not to budge. We're to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Stand that ground. Don't give an inch. So what's the faith to which Paul is talking? He doesn't just stand firm in faith. He says stand firm in the faith. You see, our world today says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. That's a faith, right? But no, no, no. Scripture says stand firm in the faith. The faith. Not just a faith. The faith. What's the faith? Well, first of all, it's the faith found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the gospel. As Paul has already said, Going back to chapter 15, verses 1 through, four, 1 through 3, 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. No other way in heaven or on earth by which you will be saved but through Jesus Christ. 
stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by Him, through Him, by the works that He accomplished on our behalf. We're not saved by our own works. We're not saved by our own merits. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing else in the world that can save you. Only Jesus can save you. You have to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now second, and this is like unto it, it's really saying the same thing in some ways. You have to stand firm in the Word of God. You have to stand firm in the Word of God. Now, understand that God's Word is the Gospel. This Word is the Gospel. All of this book here tells us uh, of redemption history uh, that climaxes in Jesus Christ. All of this book is about Him. It's meant to point us to Him. It's to draw us to the Gospel, to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But I, I make this clarification here because some people will, will kind of, uh, they pull out that that I just read, right? Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and on that, that's it. And let's just leave the rest of it out of, out of there. I even heard some uh, pastors these days saying that we should unhitch from the Old Testament. We don't need that anymore. No, no, no. The Old Testament, it points us to Jesus. We need the Old Testament. That's God's Word, just like the New Testament's God's Word. It's all God's Word. We need to hold on to God's Word. Every word, every syllable, every sentence, all of it. We hold on to all of it, and we stand firm in it. We don't compromise that. You can't compromise that. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. We live by it. We're saved through it, through the message that it preaches. We hold, we hold firm, we stand firm in God's Word. We have to. We have to. You see, our world wants us to compromise. The world around us, they, they want us to compromise. If we would only give up the inclusiveness, right, the exclusiveness of, of Jesus Christ. If we would quit saying that Jesus is the only way to be saved, the world would be happy with Christianity. They would be able to say, all right, you can just be a part of the, the conversation now because you, you've given up this idea that Jesus is the only way and there's many ways to, to God. If, if we would just do that, we would be, there would be a barrier removed between us and the secular world, right? If we would just give up that doctrine. But we can't because Scripture says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was clear. We can't give up on the gospel. The world would, would love us as Christians. They, they would receive Christians if we would just give up on, on biblical morality. If we would just give up on biblical morality and, and look at the world and say, oh yeah, everybody just do your own thing and be what you want to be. You don't pay attention to what Scripture says God wants for us. We don't have to pay attention to that. If we would just take all of that out, if we just take it out, the secular world would be happy with Christians. But we can't do that. We can't do that. We've got to stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. We stand firm on God's Word. We stand firm in the Gospel. We stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. If you want to live a powerful Christian life, 
you must, you must, you must stand firm in the faith. Oh, it's not going to win you friends with the secular world. No, it won't. In fact, it will only make more enemies. Nevertheless, if you want to live a powerful Christian life for Jesus, stand firm in the faith. Stay alert, stand firm in the faith. Third, if you want to live a powerful Christian life, pursue maturity. Pursue maturity. Now, I'm going to have to explain this a little bit here. That word there, Paul says, act like men. Now, some of your translations may say, be courageous. Something like that. The word that Paul uses here, the, the Greek word that he uses, means to conduct oneself in a manly way conduct oneself in a manly way and sometimes in in the context of a of a of a passage it does have have that connotation of, of courageous being courageous but the idea is more towards a a mature courage a mature courage and i think in the context of first corinthians Paul has it more in that mindset of, of that mature courage. He, he's kind of saying, grow up. You need to grow up. If you go back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a few pages there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as of the flesh, as infants in Christ, as babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? In other words, acting like children? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And again, over in chapter 14, verse 20, he says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And so over and over again in this letter, Paul brings out that, guys, y'all are acting like kids. You need to grow up. You need to grow up. You need to be mature. And, and at this, this end, at this, as he closes out the letter, he, he gives this command. Act like men. Grow up. Grow up in the faith. Quit acting like babies and grow up. And dear friend, if you want to be, uh, live a powerful Christian life, you, you've got to strive for maturity. You've got to pursue maturity. You've got to pursue growth in your Christian faith, in your Christian walk. You know, think about this. As children as, and as teenagers, we were easily manipulated. Our peers could, could talk us into doing things that uh, we would later regret. Because in our immaturity, we kind of follow along with the group. But as you get older, as you mature, as you, your knowledge grows, as you learn more, you, you're not as susceptible to those pressures 
those temptations. You're able to resist them because you see the bigger picture. As we grow up, as we mature, we can make more reasonable decisions. We hope so anyway, right? We, we hope we can. We need to mature. We need to grow in our faith. We need to mature in Christ. We need to mature in Christ. We need to mature in our relationship with Jesus. We need to grow in Him. You know, here's the thing. When you get to know Jesus, the more you get to know Jesus, the more He's your friend, the less your other friends influence you to live away from Jesus. You need to grow in Jesus. You need to get to know Jesus better. You need to increase your relationship or grow in your relationship with Christ. You need to get to know Him more intimately and deeply. You need to grow in Christ. Furthermore, you need to grow in the Word. You need to grow in the Word, and this goes hand in hand with growing in Christ because the way do we know, how do we know Christ? Through His Word. Primarily, we know Christ through His Word. So if we want to, know, if we want to grow in Christ, then we've got to grow in His Word. We've got to dig into His Word. We've got to dig into Scripture. We've got to answer those hard questions. We've got to look at those more difficult doctrines. We've got to dig into God's Word. We've got to grow in God's Word. This has always been a, a, an area of, of problem, a problematic area within Christianity. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, the writer there says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from uh, dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He says we've got to move on from that. that. Not saying that that stuff is not important. That stuff's important, right? That's the foundation. Christ is the foundation, the gospel uh, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and was raised again for your justification. That's the foundation. But once we get that foundation laid, we've got to get on with building some structure on that foundation, right? We, we've got to grow in our faith. We've got to move on from the elementary doctrines, the doctrines that every Christian should know, and we've got to get into deeper things. We've got to get into deeper things. We've got to dig deep into Scripture. So often in church, we, we kind of like rake the leaves off the ground, uh, but we need to get the backhoe out, and we need to start digging deep into God's Word and really getting into the meat of God's Word. We've got to grow in God's Word. We've got to seek maturity. Now think about this. We understand this in our education. When we talk about the, the development of the mind, you go to elementary school, and you learn 1 plus 1 equals 2. Well, unless you use common core math, I don't know about common core, but, but when I was growing up, 1 plus 1 equals 2, and we learned that basic information, that basic knowledge in elementary school. But guess what? My parents weren't satisfied with me staying at 1 plus 1 equals 2. No, I had to advance the higher levels of learning, I had to learn algebra and algebra one and geometry and, and on and on it goes, right? You learn the, more, the deeper things 
You've got to grow in your, your knowledge. You've got to mature in your knowledge. We expect that in our education. We expect that. We expect people to become adults in life. But for some reason, so often in church, we're happy if all we know as Christians is B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, that's the book for me, right? We kind of stop right there. Jesus loves me, this I know. All of that's true. All of that's right. But let's go on beyond that. Let's dig deep into God's Word. Let's grow in our faith, mature in our faith. You want to be a powerful Christian, you've got to get past just B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. You've got to get into the B-I-B-L-E. You've got to read the B-I-B-L-E. Quit singing about it. Dig into it. Learn from it. Mature in your faith. Mature in your faith. If you want to be a powerful Christian, you have to mature in your faith. Pursue maturity. So if you want to be a powerful Christian, stay alert, stand firm in the faith, pursue maturity in the faith, and fourth, be strengthened be strengthened now the text here says be strong i kind of disagree with that translation a bit it says be strong but that's a passive verb it's a passive verb meaning that uh, this is something that happens to you literally what paul is saying is be strengthened be strengthened this isn't something you can do on your own. This is something that's got to happen to you. God's got to do that work. Philippians 4, chapter 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul recognizes it's Christ who strengthens him. He didn't strengthen himself. Christ strengthened him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, talking to Timothy, be strengthened, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, be strengthened. He doesn't say, be strong. He doesn't say, get strong. He says, be strengthened. A strength that only comes by God's grace in Jesus Christ. We've got to pursue that. We, we've got to, to be strengthened. We've got to be strengthened in Christ. Now, how are we to be strengthened? Well, first of all, by being reliant. By being reliant. Since it's not something that we can do to ourselves, since it's something that only God can do in us, then we've got to be reliant upon God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. He says, For this reason I pray. I pray for whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being if you want to be strengthened you've got to be reliant upon god that means you got to hit, hit your knees 
you got to hit your knees. You pray to God, Lord God, strengthen me. Strengthen me in my faith. Help me to grow in my faith, Lord. I depend upon you. Strengthen me. Make me stronger. You need to be dependent. You need to be reliant upon God and pray that he would strengthen you. Second, there is something that you can do by being disciplined. You can be strengthened by being disciplined. Now, let me explain this. Now, it's all God. God does the work, but even as God does the work, we can aid in the thing, right? We can aid in our growth. We can aid in that strength by developing what he gives us. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger, before he was the Terminator and the Governator, he was Mr. Olympia. And as I was growing up and I kind of got into lifting weights and all that kind of thing, I would look at Arnold Schwarzenegger and he'd oh, out there posing and all that kind of stuff. Arnold was known for his massive 58-inch chest. I mean, that was kind of his signature body part. And he was known for, for his chest. And many bodybuilders will ask that question, now how can I have Arnold's chest? How can I have Arnold's chest? Well, the answer is you can't. Because it's Arnold's chest, right? It belongs to Arnold. He has it through, through genetics that God gave him. His chest is, is given to him by God. Now, bodybuilders can ask the question, how can I develop my chest? Right? How can, I, how can I build up my chest? And the answer to that question is through discipline training. Through discipline training, right? Paul tells Timothy again, uh, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says, train yourself. Train yourself. There, there's things that we can do. There's disciplines that we can add into our life. God, God has to give us the strength, but we can develop what he gives us. We can develop, we can enhance what he has already given us through the disciplines that, that he gives for us to, to develop those things in. Through prayer, through Bible study, through evangelism, through worship, through Christian service, through Christian community, all of those things. When we get involved in those things, they, they, all of those things God uses to help grow us and to strengthen us. So as we seek God's strength, if we would discipline ourselves and train in godliness, we can enhance what God has given us, the strength that he has given us. So strengthen yourself. Be strengthened. Be strengthened by being reliant upon God to give you strength, but then by developing what he has given you through discipline, by being disciplined. Pray that Christ would strengthen your faith. Pray that he would strengthen your faith. And don't, don't just sit there in the pew hoping, all right, I'm going to sit here and wait till it comes, Lord. 
No, no, no. Discipline yourself. Train yourself in godliness. Even as he strengthens you, pursue that strength to enhance that strength through Christian discipline. So, if you want to live a powerful Christian life, stay alert, stand firm in the faith, pursue maturity, be strengthened by Christ, and then number five here, live out love. Live out love. That last sentence, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. In other words, our number one motive and everything that we do must be love. Paul's already emphasized this back there in chapter 13, verse, verses 1 through 3, the love chapter there. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, we can do some wonderful things in life, Paul says, I could sacrifice it all. I could give everything that the Lord has given. I could take all of my possessions and sell them and give them away to the poor. Right? If I'm the greatest preacher alive and I just proclaim, I speak and preach to thousands of people. I could see hundreds of thousands of people come to faith in Christ. I could be burned at the stake as a martyr. But if I did all of those things, but my motivation for doing those things is something besides love, then all of those things are useless. They're useless. Everything that we do must be motivated out of love. We must love God Love the Lord our God with our, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. Everything that we do should be out of a love for God, wanting to honor and glorify Him with all that we do. Paul says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, from the most mundane things of your life to the most extravagant things in your life, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it for the love of God. We must love one another. Love one another. That is our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We love one another. We come together as a church to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to help one another grow in Christ. We love one another. In church, in all of our Christian service, in, in this community, if we... If all that we do is not out of love, then it's useless. It's nothing. Everything that we do must be done out of love for God and love for one another. Third, we've got to love our world. We've got to love our world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
not loving the things of the world. For the things of the world lead to sin. But we love the people of the world. And we want the people of the world to know Jesus Christ. To come into a saving relationship with Jesus. And so as we go out of these walls, as we minister to our community, as we minister to our world, as we go on mission trips, as we support our missionaries, all of that, all that we do must be out of love. Love for God, love for neighbor. Love must be your chief motive. Live out love. If you want to be a powerful Christian, live out love. Live out love. Let love be your number one motive in everything that you do. Live a powerful Christian life, brothers and sisters. Live a powerful Christian life. Stay alert. Stand firm in the faith. Pursue maturity. Be strengthened. And live out love in all that you do. Live a powerful Christian life. Now, of course, all of this begins with a relationship with Jesus. You can't live out a powerful Christian life if you don't know Jesus. That's step number one. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the power of salvation in your life. You begin by trusting in Jesus, by turning to Christ. The gospel that we read earlier, that Christ died on the cross for your sins. He died for your sins and your trespasses, paying the penalty for your sin against a holy God. He died for you, dear friend. And he was resurrected from death, showing that all sin had been paid for. To live a powerful life begins by trusting in Jesus, surrendering your life to him. There's nothing else to do. You don't, you don't have to, to get your life together beforehand. No, no. Trust in Jesus. Surrender to Christ and he'll save you. If you've never trusted in Jesus, will you trust in him today? Commit your life to him, and he will save you. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word. And Lord, as your church, as your people, we want to live a powerful life for your glory. And we thank you that you give us instruction, Lord, you give us instruction. You show us the way. Now, Lord, give us the strength to follow. Give us the strength to follow. And, Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, then, Lord, let them start there. Open their eyes to see Christ. Give them the ability to surrender to him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.